Hello, and welcome to CryptoCast. I'm your host, Ray Doherty. This is episode seven of Tales from the Past, the UFO special. And this is something I've been waiting for. I am so pumped to talk to you about this today as we expand the scope of CryptoCast to all mysteries here and around the world as we travel back in time reading accounts from newspapers of days past. Thanks to the National Library of Australia and their website trove.nla.gov.au. We have some utterly fascinating stories today that I defy anyone to explain. Skeptics beware. I will warn you now, you will have a hard time debunking these stories. But first, if you like what we do, please consider subscribing to CryptoCast here on this channel, iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. I would really appreciate it. So now, let us travel back in time through the miracles of modern technology to our first story. First stop, 1909. The first story today is from Friday, the 13th of August, 1909, from the Daily Telegraph in Launceston. Strange lights. Between six and eight o'clock last night, two strange lights appeared in the heavens towards Trevalham. One was considerably larger than the other, and they appeared to be moving together across the sky rapidly. Much interest was centred in the unusual sight, and many were conjectured to its origins. Someone suggested that it was an airship, and in view of the handsome prize offered by the federal government in this connection, it was suggested that it was a Tasmanian experiment. Towards eight o'clock, the lights disappeared behind Trevelyn, were not seen again. When asked for a solution to this problem, Mr. H. Scott, curator of the Victoria Museum, said that it was a conjunction of two planets. Telegram last night stated that the stars were seen at Macquarie Plains between 5 and 6 o'clock in the morning. Well, that's the first story today. That's a short one. A couple of issues I have with that, first of all, from the curator of the Melbourne Museum. Stars that are in conjunction don't move along the sky parallel to each other rapidly. The other question is, what Tasmanian experiment are they talking about? Are they talking about a flight experiment? An airship experiment? What And what bounty are they talking about with the federal government? If you guys know anything about that, let me know in the comments below. But to me, that's a hard one to explain. Again, I'll get to the reasons later. But remember, it's 1909. Powered flight was only discovered by the Wright brothers in 1904-05. So this is only a few years afterwards. Strange lights in the sky to start off with. The next one is another short one, but it's an interesting one nonetheless, from, nonetheless, I should say, from the Sydney Morning Herald in Monday, the 27th of September, 1909, page 7. Strange and wondrous lights, Maruya, Sunday. Now, Maruya is a town located on the far south coast of New South Wales, situated on the Maruya River. The Princess Highway runs through the town that is approximately 305 kilometres south of Sydney, and 175 kilometres from Canberra. In the 2016 census, Maria had a population of 3,982. Probably a lot less uh, in 1909, I would say. From 11 last night, the heavens were illuminated with wondrous lights, first coming as shafts of light from a searchlight, and then in the shape of balls of light. This continued with remarkable variety and effect until midnight, at which hour a light in the south, appearing as a break of day, was further eliminated by a tinge of delicate pink, deepening to red, and by one o'clock gradually fading away. 
The whole phenomena was weird, an extraordinary character, never before seen here. So what did they see? So let's go from 11 p.m. The heavens were illuminated with wondrous lights, first coming as shafts of light from a searchlight, and then turning itself, obviously, into balls of light. And then, at which hour, later on, it says here, another light appeared in the south, appearing as the break of day was further illuminated by a tinge of delicate pink, deepening to red, and by one o'clock, gradually fading away. So what the person describing this is saying is that it was so bright, it was like daylight. How big would that have had to have been? Because they don't mention that here in the story. To turn the sky into daylight, it must have been a big object. And then they're saying it faded away, gradually fading away, deepening to red and pink. Normally, when an object changes color in the night sky, that's because of atmospheric conditions. So how far away was it? Shafts of light from a searchlight. Now let's get to this point. This is where I defy any skeptics to debunk this. Technology for searchlights from aircraft did not exist until the mid to late 1920s and wasn't really perfected until the early 1930s. And by World War II, searchlights were pretty powerful. Now, World War I, I believe they also had searchlights, but this is a long time before World War I. This is six years, five years before World War I. And certainly nobody possessed the technology to have them in aircraft. No one possessed the technology for aircraft to fly at night, let alone to be illuminating with such brightness. Airships were around, but they did not have that technology to generate that powerful light, let alone fly at night. They were in Australia. This is a mystery. What was it? A shaft of light, then turning itself into balls of light, and then turning into something even bigger in the south, a light that appeared in the south as bright as daylight. You tell me. This was in Maria in 1909. Now, this is an even better one. Also in 1909, unfortunately, I didn't get a credit for the publication, but it says strange lights over Macquarie Harbour. Now, Macquarie Harbour is a large, shallow inlet located on the west coast of Tasmania. It is approximately 315 square kilometres in size and has an average depth of 15 metres and up to 50 metres in deeper places. Now, here's the story. This is a great story. John Dunn of the Silver Bell reported having, in the company of five others, observed strange lights travelling from Macquarie Harbour towards Silver Bell, then altering course and passing behind Mount Dundas in the northeast. From the point of observation, the lights first appeared on the horizon and they ascended in the course. At times, the lights were visible and when not visible, a ray of lights as if from a powerful searchlight streamed to the earth. Almost simultaneously with the foregoing came a report that the residents had seen a particular light travelling in the air from Macquarie Heads Island. Third report received from Queenstown states that two, two men that were mannered at Lyle last week, that means staying at this place in the old language, saw a strange light over Macquarie Harbour, which was at quite a distance from the Cape Sorrel Lighthouse. Whether all of these reports are the results of delusions or what is their significance is yet to be proved. Now, the writer there was a little bit of dismissive of saying, well, you, you, you've seen something that's, you know, you're having a delusion. But we've got five, two, three, we've got at least 10, 15 people over the course of that week who saw objects flying in the sky around Macquarie Harbour. But particularly, I love the first sighting from Mr. Dunn of Silverbell. Five others observed these strange lights travelling from Macquarie Harbour towards Silverbell, then altering course and passing behind Mount Dundas. If you were them in 1909, 
You're just going along, minding your own business with your friends at night, and you're seeing these lights going across the sky, not streaking like a shooting star, but changing course, and then a shaft of light appearing from the sky going down to the earth. Again, powered flight was only five years old. There were aircraft in Australia, but they couldn't fly at night. There were only three of them, and they were in Melbourne, flying from Moorabbin to Flemington. There were airships, but again, they did not fly at night, let alone have any speed or maneuverability. They were slow plotters, let alone the ability to generate that sort of power to create a searchlight as you fly across the, the landscape. Not possible. You got an idea? You tell me what you think it was. But it was a, this is a fascinating story seen by multiple people. Now, like I, as I've said before, the things that we use today to dismiss UFO sightings today, such as aircraft, drones, satellites, SpaceX satellites, the ISS, all of those things can't be used in this situation because they didn't exist. And if they didn't exist, what the hell were they? What were these people seeing? Oftentimes I tell friends and I tell other people I know, because of the way these stories were written in the old days, because they were heavily relied upon by witness reports and evidence and just the facts, unlike today where the media is agenda-driven as we know, then sometimes we have to go to the past to get the, the right information, the real information, the true information that's still happening today. Except today we have things that we can blow it off, but these are the same sightings that were happening 110 years ago. But you can't use those excuses to debunk them like you can today. But they're the same things. So what was it? What are these people seeing? If you think that's strange, have a listen to this next story. This is from Marlborough Express. M-A-R-L-B-O-R-O-G-H Express. August 18, 1910. I think that's a New Zealand newspaper, but because that's where I originally found this article, but it happened in Australia. And it's titled, The mysterious airship so frequently seen in New Zealand last year now appears to be visiting foreign parts as witnesses to the following from the Sydney Morning Herald's Adelaide correspondent writes on August the 4th. Captain Nelson of the coastal steamer Wukata, that's W-O-O-K-A-T-A, the second engineer, Mr. S. Arnold, and helmsman, Mr. G. Rudd, are at a complete loss to explain the meaning of the curious lights which they witnessed when the vessel was passing Althrope Island on the way to Port Adelaide early the other morning. Bright lights as distinct as the masthead lights of the steamer, but high up in the air, were observed by the trio. A strange thing was that they circled around the Wakata in a tantalising way. It was about nine o'clock, says Captain Nelson, that the man at the wheel remarked, do you see these lights flying about? I replied, yes, they are a great many more lights than I have ever seen here. They are ju just then a mysterious light off Cape Spencer, which disappeared as suddenly as it appeared, came into view. Presently, the helmsman said, it was strange, but I have seen lights on the port bow, then right ahead, and then suddenly on the starboard side. I stepped inside the wheelhouse and on coming out again saw two lights just over the starboard bow, no distance away but high up. They seemed to pass us. They were as bright as our masthead lights and as far as I could judge were two to three hundred yards distant. The lights appeared to be ten yards apart, one a little above the other. I could not make it out. I said to the man at the wheel, Did you see them? He answered, Yes, 
They are like German airships flying about. I did not know what to think. I feel I saw something unusual, something in which my 45 years experience at sea I have never observed before. Now that is a fascinating, fascinating story. The steamer, cold steamer SS Wukata, steaming away past Althrop Island on its way off the coast of Port Adelaide early one morning. And all three of the crew, they see these lights tantal- flying around them, tantalizing, in a tantalizing fashion. One minute on the left, one minute straight ahead, then on the right, then flying around them, appearing and disappearing. That looked to be like a German Zeppelin, but to me that's a cigar-shaped object. We knew they didn't really fly at night, certainly not down here. But let alone that, even if it was that, they, I mean, how could it be? They couldn't have that sort of speed of maneuverability. They couldn't be appearing and disappearing. One minute on the left, then on the right, then on the straight ahead. Sounds like these, the ship was being buzzed by some very curious sources. What would you have thought on the, if you were on the Wakata? Would you have been scared? I mean, 1910, you wouldn't have known what these things were. Again, the excuses that we use to debunk UFO sightings today can't be used in this situation. And if it's an airship, show me one that, that's, that is that fast, that can appear in one spot, disappear in one spot and reappear instantaneously in another spot. Commercial airlines did not exist in Australia until 1922 in Qantas. There were only three private aircraft in Australia at the time, and they were in Melbourne. And they were just private aircraft, and they couldn't fly at night, and they really struggled to fly anything above 10 kilometers. And I did some research, and they were being flown from Moorabbin to Flemington, joy rides for the owners and their families, let alone have the technology to fly at night. And then, you know, the searchlight technology we're talking about in other stories didn't exist until the beginning of, you know, from an aircraft perspective until the 30s. And it wasn't perfected until World War II again. Onboard power generation just couldn't be done. This tales from the past episode 7 of UFO special. We've seen, we've asked a lot of questions. And like I said, sometimes to get the answers, we have to go back in time to read what was in its purest form, witness sightings. And people were also boohooed in those days for coming forward and saying what they saw. And they saw it. They had no answers for it, but they saw it. And then they just moved on. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Tales from the Past. We'll be back with more in the coming weeks ahead. Until then, have a great day and keep listening to CryptoCast, Tales from the Past.